0: Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Shelton. Today's episode is brought to you by Cave Social. Cave Social is a marketing agency based out of Los Angeles that can help you grow online and grow your bottom line. So, If you need help with your social media, e-com, advertising, whatever it may be online, head over to cavesocial.com and book a free consultation, and they'll be able to help you out. All right. Today, I am sitting with Andrea Brianna. She is the founder and CEO of Rebel Mouse. Previously, she was the CTO at Huffington Post, uh, has a breadth of experience in the tech industry, and then a really, really cool conversation we have talking about how to really persevere through failure, how to build a company that's it sticks. And we dive a little bit into really not only creating a good culture, but erasing some negative culture when you have toxic employees and how to address that and build a company that really not only grows, but suits the lifestyle you want to live. So sit back and enjoy this episode. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the show. Today, I have Andrea Brianna on the show. She is the founder and CEO of Rebel Mouse. It is a better platform for brands and new media companies. Before that, she was the CTO at the Huffington Post, has a breadth of experience in the tech world. Andrea, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So I gave the two second intro. Tell me a little bit more of your story from the early days of your career to now and launching Rebel Mouse and kind of taking on this new venture. I'd love to hear it.
1: Well, I was born in Mexico City, and then my dad got an MBA in Stanford, and he ended up starting a software company. So I started to learn code when I was very young, and we were living in Palo Alto. He started Palo Alto Software. So I've been around startup life and technology since, you know, I can remember. Then if you fast forward, I really fell in love with product and design and engineering and with contagious media in particular, how the internet works, how messages spread. I did my graduate degree at NYU where I met Jonah Peretti, who's founder and CEO of BuzzFeed. We started to work on contagious media projects and had things go viral, and that led to both HuffPost and BuzzFeed. HuffPost, I ran product design and engineering, and we were really building a platform that would let writers and creators understand how to be popular, which was a very different approach to CMS. And that worked really well. And we started as a little blog and became the most popular blog. And then we were kind of like a smaller news Mm -hmm. site. And then we became bigger than New York Times and Washington Post. And we sold to AOL. And then I, at AOL ran those same groups, product design and engineering for all of AOL's media properties. And that's where the inception of Rebel House came because I realized how flawed the CMS world was and how much everyone needed a solution that would be cloud-based and keep you up to date with the acceleration of history. Google's always changing stuff, Facebook too, and everyone was managing their own instances of their CMS and getting farther and farther behind which fundamentally puts the open web at threat because so many websites are slow and clumsy. And Rebel Mouse is now eight years in. We raised 23 million in capital. We've been profitable for the last four years. We're growing and it's a pretty large scale. Now that we reach 90 million people across all the site a month, across all the sites we power, and we're a combination of a CMS platform that's in the cloud and a creative agency.
0: Wow. It sounds like one of the things to pull out there that you touched on was really enabling creatives, right? And how at HuffPost, you were able to enable creatives and people, and then it grew and it grew and it grew. And then it, it's something how a little instance like that, when you look back 10, 12, you know, 15 years, you go, oh, it was a lot of those little micro instances that then, you know, caused this bigger shift and cause you to take on something like Rebel Mouse. Now, Rebel Mouse, 90 million people reach through the companies you're powering. Um, you do United Airlines back end, Axios, the Dodo. That's awesome. Number one. But talk to me about that first customer. And, you know, when you first took the leap, building out the product and then, okay, it's ready to ship. We got it. What were those strategies to really get that first customer onto the CMS?:
1: Well, it is very tricky. And in our, and in, in the Rebel Mouse story, I'll tell the true like I really like the, I don't like business books very much, to be honest, but that book, "The Hard Things are really Hard," or whatever it is by Mark Andreessen, was re- it's really good, and I enjoy sharing the hardships and the, <laughs> and the mistakes because so much it's just about the success you've had, but there's so much struggle along the way. Rebel Mouse, when we launched, it was actually a product that was sort of for anyone. And you could just connect your social accounts and it build your website out of all the content you were sharing. And it went viral. It was like 8 million people created their profiles. And like every big influencer, Gary Vaynerchuk, everyone would sign up and share that they created their Rebel Mouse. But... Really, my vision underneath it was to create this CMS that solved real publishing the way I had at HuffPost and for the whole industry. And so one problem, and it's been a challenge ever since, is because that product went viral, but it wasn't what we were actually doing at Rebel Mouse. When we launched, it was because I would take, and I recommend to everyone, when do you actually launch, is that. The two things of like starting from scratch that I recommend, one in picking your name, is don't tell your friends and family and the people that you trust in asking for advice, don't tell them, hey, I'm starting a new company and this might be the name. What do you think about it? Instead, throw out the name as just like a, hey, you know, what do you think about Rebel Mouse? And then without that context, they'll actually be honest. And so, for example, we were thinking about, we had a lab and we were working on several companies and there was one company called that tentatively going to name Travelocial. Everyone hated that name. And they were polite if they thought this was like maybe the next company I was going to work on. But when they didn't know about it, they would just like, God, that sounds awful. I hate it. I don't like Travelocial. But Rebel Mouse had this super high, like people were like faked knowing it. They're like, oh, I heard about it. I like it. So on choosing a name, I really recommend that. On when to launch, what we did is, and and I did this very personally, I took it to all these people that had large audiences that I knew from HuffPost, and I'd have them connect their social accounts and see what would happen. They'd get a website that would get generated out of it. And you know when to launch when they look at you and they say, can I share this? When you look at them and say, will you share this? It's not really ready yet. But we had a hard thing, which was that everyone loved their own page. And so I launched when everyone was like, please, can I share it? It's so cool. The funny thing, and it's kind of like a dismal note about human nature, people love to share their own Rebel Mouse page where they had created their profile and it showed off all their content. But no one would reshare other people's. So it's like sad note that people like to look in the mirror more than you'd think. And they like to talk about themselves. In the background, our first real client was a Dota. And that was actually building the CMS and building a new media company from scratch. And figuring out how Facebook organically worked and how you tie that to Google. Our mission at Rebel Mouse is the Venn diagram of love in a CMS which generally is two circles far apart. At HuffPost, editors actually loved the CMS. It would teach them how to be popular. And it was efficient with their time, and it would iterate. They loved it. It turns out, you know, it's t- not two times as hard to get two companies to love the same CMS. It's 100 times as hard. So the first path was getting the dodo to grow and become significant, But then after that, after the first client was getting a second company to really actually also love it. And to be totally honest, it took years of work and really grinding through and building deep technology before we had reached that point where Paper Mag was probably the second client that just fell in love with it and could grow on it. Um, and then it got incremental easier, but that was our first real focus was in the background that we, we didn't get that much credit for the Dodo. People love the Dodo. They don't immediately associate Rebel Mouse with it because we're a B2B company, the kind of the, the one behind the scenes powering stuff. But that was our first one. And, um, and it was a lot of fun working with the Dodo team and watching that growth.
0: I think you hit uh, a really important point there is that things take time, right? right. And and th- serious, when you're doing a serious endeavor like this, where you're saying, okay, we're gonna fundamentally change how you know authors work within a CMS, how marketers work within a CMS to give them the appropriate tools for them to amplify their message. It's not a small undertaking. And doing that and then building out a repeatable process and formula, and then at the same time, like you said, not only with the name going and checking, hey, do you like this name, but how is this technology working for you and getting that feedback and iterating, 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 and then ultimately starting to power more and more brands. And, and you know, if you think it's Biz Stone, who said I, I worked for 11 years and then I was an overnight success. And uh, I'm always fond of that because I think that, you know, as I've interviewed more and more people on this show, that's just a, a common theme of, well, it took a lot longer than I thought it was going to but now you know we're rocking and rolling yeah
1: i think in so, general it's good to imagine at least a decade of your life going into the idea and we don't get that many decades of life <laughs> so, right especially in the sort of prime of your career so i do think it's the one mistake that i see entrepreneurs make is they think it'll just take me 2 years and really think about whether you want to do this next thing for 20 years because uh, that problem. is so pivotal. Now, for me, luckily and happily, Rebel Mouse is aligned with what I deeply, truly love since I was a teenager, since I started to work on technology and internet. And you've got to look for that. It can't be something if it's like, oh, this attractive, shiny object, but it's not actually who you are. It's going to be hard to make it through year four. And imagine year 12. <laughs>
0: you <know>? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's so true. It's one of those things I get asked all the time, like, oh, what, what's your advice for someone who's starting a company? And I'm always like, keep going. That's the <laughs> only thing I'll tell you. We're in year eight. I'm like, just keep going. Every, uh, you know, In my social circle in university, I'd say 10 people probably started a company and nine quit within the first you know, year and a half because they weren't Mark Zuckerberg. And yeah. it's <laughs> like, yeah. you know, this stuff does take serious time. So switching gears a little bit right to now I want to look at the growth slash HR side of things and and building out your team. Now, how do you keep a growth mindset and, you know, innovative mindset in, in your team that you're managing?
1: Well, that's one that I've, I've honestly, eight years in, I look back and I made some really, some mistakes. I, I, you try to not live in regrets because they don't, they don't help you much, but you do try to learn from mistakes. And especially when you raise venture money, it's very tempting to allow your culture to come second to your numbers. And so I think it was around year four, from year four, three year three to year six were probably the three hardest years of my career. Luckily, my personal life, my wife and I have four kids. We were very happy with the personal life, and that helped me get through it. But we had a lot of pressure to hit really, really hard numbers, VC goals. And to do that, we had some salespeople and some engineers who were honestly jerks. They didn't care about other people. I would spend so much of my time going around apologizing for their behavior. Say, I know he said that, but he doesn't mean it. And he just closed a big deal and just forget it. We love you here. I know he was obnoxious. You know, I know she's sort of a sociopath. I'm so sorry she said that. Da-da-da-da-da. And it's tempting to let those go, especially for the top performer. And we saw it at HuffPost that it's like, you know, as part of the management team instead of the founder. We saw that there's a few types of personalities. There's people who are have, and you you can sort of put them on axes of high of drama and output. The people who won big at HuffPost, who were there early and got equity, and we made money, and were low drama, high output. We got it done without creating lots of drama and tension and anxiety and stress. The people who were quick to get out, fired or resigned, they didn't make much money at Post at all, were the people with who were high drama and low output. It's just easier to get them out and didn't work, they're out of there. The hard part was the people who were high drama and high output. And they didn't make a lot of money in total as a group. Um... But they lasted longer and they created a lot more stress for people. What I learned as a founder, and just to be, cl- just to be totally honest, around year six or seven, six, because now we're two or three years past that, but Rebel Mouse had a near-death moment. We had to raise, we had raised $21 million and we were spending it, and spending it fast at the height of our stupidity. My stupidity. We had we were burning eight hundred thousand dollars a month. God, that was a stressful time. In order to burn that type of money, your revenue growth has to be fucking ridiculous and spectacular, and then you can lose that amount of money in the name of growth. But if you miss one quarter, one bad month, oh my God, then everyone questions: Should we be losing that amount of money a month? And so we had something that was actually, the product was good and a lot of customers paid real money for it and loved it. But we were gonna run out of capital and I was gonna have to raise 20 on a hundred. So 20 million more on a $100 million valuation was roughly the right next thing to do the Series C. And we didn't have the metrics to prove that. And we had missed a couple quarters. We had some churn of clients where we had moved too fast. Sales people had sold weird deals. We couldn't deliver it. It was really stressful. And instead of, for me, I looked, that was one of these moments as an entrepreneur where you could easily give up and no one would have blamed me. VCs, everyone, they know it's a gamble and they, they, I could have said, sorry, we're folding it down and they would have said, oh, well, it happens to 95% of their portfolios. So, but for me, this is when doing what I love and I knew we had something valuable we rearranged the company entirely. And this was, I guess, three or four years ago. We went completely distributed, got rid of the beautiful Soho office that was also very expensive. I hate offices. I always have. Now, COVID, everyone realizes they were an unnecessary luxury was just annoying anyway. But I got rid of all the jerks, all the extra, and we focused on a team that actually cared about each other. And cared about the company. And we're in it really to have a good life and to be creative. And we put happiness as our number one. It turns out Warren Buffett in a documentary said that he made his number one KPI. Then the way he made every key key business decision was based on his own personal happiness, which is so simple and so
0: obvious. So simple. And, you know, like giving oxygen to the culture, right? That's what then comes out and fuels the growth. And there's a couple of things I want to touch on there that through that story that I think are really important for the listeners and, and just, you know, interesting. One being the people matrix, the uh, Simon Sinek, who has written the book, Leaders Eat Last, Start With Why, or he has the Start With Why uh, TED talk. And he put out this matrix that the Navy SEALs use, and it's a performance versus trust matrix. And he says, I can go into any office and I can go, okay, who's the asshole? And they'll all point. (laughs) And that person is probably outselling everybody as a top performer, right? But they won't trust them. And then he goes, okay, and who would you trust the most to babysit your kids? And everybody points to the same person. And he says, okay, you want more people in an organization that you would trust to, you know, to come together and like do things like babysit your children and that organizations, even the Navy SEALs, which are, you know, the most elite personal, you know, Physical, mental toughness, whatever you want to categorize it, they will actually take people who are in the quadrant of trust mixed with performance. Because when you're out on a battlefield, the number one thing is not going to be, "Oh, hey, the asshole is doing his own plan today." Like, no, we need <laughs> someone. <laughs> we're awesome. we're in a battlefield. Everyone needs to be on the same team. So, um, you know, from elite teams like the Navy SEALs downward. And then it's, it's just makes so much sense, right? To say, okay, we're going to trim, you you know, for lack of a better term, it's like trim the fat, right? Get rid of those. And even if they are top performers, they're still really bringing that level of, um, you know, a toxic culture. And anyone who's been in business long enough has definitely met that jerk before at their own company and then seen how their leadership reacted, right? And a lot of times either that good and that good team member ends up leaving because they don't want to be around those types, or the leadership comes in and like in your case, where you're saying is get rid of, rid of the jerks. Uh, it's really, really, it's it's fuel to a culture when that's done. And then one other thing, which you are definitely a first mover on is getting rid of the fancy office. I'm a business owner. We got rid of our office with COVID. Um, but to see that line item come back onto the, the balance sheet... <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe I paid for that, for that long.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. If people would ask um, me before COVID, um, they'd say, how do you do it? How does it work? And now everyone's like, oh, all you have, I kept telling them, all you have to do is want it to work and it'll work. Just watch. You just have to actually want it to work. And now everyone needs it to work. (laughs) So they want it to work. And they realize, of course it works. All we had to do was do it.
0: Uh, That's so true. So Andrea, what's uh, what's next for Rebel Mouse? What's the, the next hill to climb, so to speak?
1: Well, I think right now we're at this really interesting and fun point where it turns out that actually... We've had a very strong Q2, thank God, and Q3's already had a really, really strong start. So it turns out that COVID is actually, it's not that we're selling hand sanitizer or face masks or respirators, but right now we sell a more cost-effective way to have a better solution. So you save money if you're a media company or brand and you have a blog, if it's a real digital presence, you save quite a bit of money. And your page speed triples and all these things. So we're in a really strong place as a company because COVID has been a humbler for a lot of media companies that, and brands that were invested in their own technology. They're kind of like, oh, the CMS. It's kind of like the CMS was kind of like their office. Like they didn't want to change it and they didn't need to change it. The line items worked fine. Now the financials don't work and they need to find a way to make it work. And we, we're the way they can work, so that's really nice. What we need, what what comes next for us, is real massive scale. How how we get from the ninety million uniques a month that we're doing to the billion is would have been impossible four years ago, even two years ago, to imagine. How do we get to a billion? Because you know we were, but from the now roughly hundred million. I think it really makes sense from here how we scale the platform. And we're trying to make decisions based on the possibility, uh, the, the decisions that are scalable. And that's really tricky. It's so much easier to say. We have a creative agency as part of Romas. And the more our work requires, like our chief creative officer is amazing. She's a genius. And our CTO is too. But the more the, the decisions we do as a business requires their hours and their time on a project, the less scalable that is. And the more that we spend time building a product that then anyone can use and it scales, that's what's really scalable for us. So we have our internal goal of powering 33% of the internet. And it's not gonna happen in a year. <laughs> it's gonna be the <laughs> next
0: it's
1: gonna be the next 10 years uh, of my life. But We want to do it also in a way that we really like. I'm very proud. We're mostly women, mostly moms, uh, 30% LGBT. There's 65 of us in 28 countries. So while we accomplish this, it's really important to me the how we accomplish it, that we do it with a culture that we imagined. I have, as as an openly trans person and being Mexican, I've witnessed both a lot of racism And a lot of sexism in the tech industry. And we want to, you know, prove you can be a really large tech company that's founded by LGBT and run by women around the world um, and LGBT and that we treat each other really well along the way. And that includes leading good lives, not just giving it up for the this whole startup grind and you just have to do it anyway. But no, like actually our lives are very short. And if we don't enjoy them and have fun and giggle along the way, then why did we do it? And I think that's the balance we're really looking for is not just growth for growth's sake and just do anything to make money, but actually wake up, put happiness first. And the fun thing has been that The more we do that, the more the numbers follow.
0: Unreal. With that, usually I do an intro or an outro myself, but uh, when you put happiness first, the numbers follow. I'm going to leave it at that. Thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed hearing your story, Andrea.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Jordan. All
0: right, everybody. That is it for the show. I'll catch you all later. Uh